Welcome back to another episode of Backlash Podcast. Brad from Musky Mayhem Tackle, Carrie Musky Mayhem Tackle, Jeff Team Rhino Outdoors, doing another podcast. This one's going to be a little bit different. It's post Milwaukee Musky Expo show. We're going to talk to three people from the Madison Musky School. It's actually the Intermediate Advanced Musky School, put on by the Capital City Chapter of Muskies Inc. down in Madison. And we're going to talk to Jeff, Duffy, and Steve. Well, I am. Carrie and Brad are just going to sleep. I'm going to talk to them. And then we're going to do a little rundown here on the show. We'll thank everybody for coming out to the show because that's what we do on these post-show episodes. And then after we're done talking to the three guys from the Muskie School, Brad and Carrie and I are going to talk. We're going to circle back to a couple questions that we had on our Facebook page that people wanted us to answer. So we're going to start answering a few of them. And hopefully, eventually, we'll get through all of them, and then we'll ask for some more questions, and then we'll answer those. And next week, we'll have a regular guest like we normally would. Unfortunately, it's the Monday after the Expo. I know all three of us just want to go to sleep. Unfortunately, we can't do that, because otherwise, there will be no episode on Wednesday, because we're running out of time. Hi, Brad. Hi, Carrie. How are, how are you guys today? Good. We're, we're doing good. Kind of trying to get back into the swing of things here. We uh, we didn't get home till about 12.30 this morning, ended up in bed about 1.30, back up early this morning so that uh, we could unload a trailer. And we're just trying to get back into the swing of things. Jeff, how about you? I'm doing about the same. It's actually afternoon, putting this podcast on, because I vowed that I'm not going to go wire things on days after shows, because all I want to do is sleep. It doesn't seem like it'd be that difficult. To just get up and do your normal day after a show. You're like, ah, oh, you're just at a show all day long. It's not like you're climbing ladders and stuff. But I will tell you flat out that those shows absolutely kill you. Late hours and the go, go, go of it. It just, there's, I mean, you guys know what it is. There's really not a ton of downtime for those shows. You're go, go, go most of the time. That's very true, Jeff. And, and you know, the, the neat thing about it is, is that there was a ton of people. So it made it so worth it, you know. And we got to talk to a ton of different people. Truly appreciate our customers. I know you do too, Jeff. And it's always good to see a bunch of people at a show. It makes the day go way quicker. But you're right. It will wear you out. For us, you know, those drives are pretty pretty crazy. I know it doesn't seem like much. Oh, seven, eight-hour drive, whatever it might be. But the setup, the teardown, the days at the shows, the nights after the show, it all adds up. Yeah, we, like I said, we got in a bed about 1.30 this morning. And we were back up around 6.30, and uh, our days kind of winded down, and it's only 3 o'clock in the afternoon when we'd normally be in the shop. Now, I know you, Jeff, last night, you called me while I was driving. You only have, what, a two-and-a-half-hour drive? Not even. I only have an hour-and-a-half drive. It's really sweet. Oh, hour-and-a-half. Well, you went right to work as soon as you got home, so I, I can't complain a whole lot. <laughs> That's because my darn wife is an overachiever and made me come out to the shop. She's like... You know, I mean, everybody knows, or typically they know, like if you place an order during the show time, there's nobody, there's nobody here to pack the orders necessarily. Occasionally my wife will hang back, but lately she hasn't. So the orders pack up. We put a note on the website that say, Hey, we apologize. The shipping is going to be delayed. It'll ship as soon as we're done with the show. So we had a bunch of orders to do. Of course, I wanted to go to bed. I was like, Nope, I don't want to deal with this. And she's like, Nope. We're going out to the shop because otherwise all you're going to do is pack orders on Monday and you're not going to get anything done and then you're going to be crabby. So last night instead I was crabby because she made me come out to the shop. 
was probably a good plan. You know, when you think about it, if you uh, would have slept all night, it would have been really tough to get up and kind of get back in the swing of things. At least you were an hour and a half drive back to work, not really having to worry about too much. Yeah, we have a shorter drive, but we also have a much longer packing packing up than anybody else does. I mean, it takes us, yesterday was a little longer because one of my daughters wasn't feeling that great. So she went home with my wife's cousin and then they took my other daughter with, and typically those three would help us pack up. So it was just three of us packing up. And then Austin, who wanted to hang behind and hang out with Mika, your daughter. I don't know. I guess they had fun playing the claw machine all day yesterday. Sounds like they were very spoiled playing the claw machine. But um, mm-hmm, I would say. I think well, that- I think some of that was uh, Jeff Schulte from Phantom. Basically, I, Carrie said he gave them like $125. He's like, <laughs> I'll give them the money because I'm only going to get it back in the claw machine. So, <laughs> yes. uh, good, nice of Jeff to do that. Well, at least they kept them busy, so I didn't have to have them roaming around in the booth for too long. But I did get a pretty sweet Mika custom over the over the uh, weekend. I got myself a nice sweet Mika custom supermodel. In fact, the color is so sweet that there's a chance that I might actually add it to the lineup. Well, she's got an eye for colors, that's for sure. And, you know, the neat thing is a lot of people come just to see some of her baits, and it's kind of grown and become something. She uh, she sold quite a few this weekend. Yeah, and I think she gave all the money back to Phantom in the claw machine, though, unfortunately. That is true, but the neat thing is, is the way Phantom runs that claw machine, people can win. You know, it isn't one of those that's rigged so sensitive that, that you can't actually win anything. So it's a neat thing that they're doing with that claw machine, and it draws a little crowd around their booth as well. Yeah, I agree. I saw the pile of little crankbaits hanging out in my on my table this morning, so apparently they must have won a bunch of times. It's pretty wild. You know, the other thing that, that happened over the weekend for Mika anyway was that Bob from Justin Case came and showed up with a little tackle box for her. And that was really, really cool. He knows that she's into making the baits. He knows that uh, she wants to be involved in this whole circus called musky fishing. And so he came and gave her a tackle box, which just totally blew my mind. Yeah, well, I mean, if you follow our website, you know that Justin Case isn't a product that we carry. But if you watch our YouTube videos, you'll see we definitely use the Justin Case products. I mean, the stuff that Bob does is really great. He's, I mean, in, in the custom side of it that he can do is awesome. I have a little spot up front in my Lund that I want to try to put. Uh, I went, so I had him make one in the back corner to make the Lund a little nicer in the back corner. And that worked out great. So if I fish two people, it's really sweet. Well, over Labor Day, I went fishing with a friend of mine, so he was in the back. I was fishing in the middle, and my daughter had the front casting deck. Well, the front casting deck on a 16-foot boat isn't super awesome for two people. It's especially not great when you have a newer person up front. I didn't want to crowd her too much. So I had to stand on top of my Lakewood, which is fine, but it's not ideal because it's really only like 18 inches wide. So I'm going to have Bob do another little custom deal in the front for when I have you know, three people in that little boat. Like I said, it works out fine, but it's just, it'd just be really nice to have a nice handy thing there. And so Bob, if anybody's looking for custom, like if you have an odd spot in your boat and you're looking for something custom and cool to put there, you know, look up Justin case. Cause I mean, if you want something done, he can do it. He's pretty amazing with the work that he can do on that. On like deck boxes, even his regular boxes are great too, but I'm talking more on the custom end of it. Yeah, it's something that he offers that nobody else really does at this point. And he's been around for quite some time. He's making a good, sturdy product. 
definitely somebody to check out at the next shows. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can just talk to him and see what he's got. Like I said, there's literally probably nothing that he hasn't already done. You can hinge things different. You can make little slide out compartments. You can do all sorts of different things. You can make things adjustable. It's like the options that you can do with his boxes are endless. And like you said, they're a quality product. They they just hold up well. And um, you can get them clear and you can get them tinted and you can get them with non-slip and you can get them with bump boards built in or measuring rulers built in the top of them. And you can get giant deck boxes and little boxes and the options, like I said, are just endless. So since, you know, Bob was generous enough to give Mika a box, I figure we can give him a little bit of a plug on here because, like I said, his his stuff is really good. Yeah, I appreciate that too, Jeff. I mean, that thank you, Bob, if you're listening, but it was pretty incredible. I don't care who they are in the musky world. You know, it's a unique world because the neat thing is, is a lot of times they'll give the kids, they're generous to the kids, I should say. And that means a lot. You know, that's the future of monkey fishing or the youth that are coming to the shows. And it's really cool to see everybody kind of share with those kids. Yeah, not to drag on too much about the show, because I know not everybody wants to hear about that, but it was cool for me to see, like, youth wearing TRO shirts this weekend. I had seen probably, like, three or four of them, and we don't sell a lot of them, so it was surprising to see them. And, of course, I always got to give them a high five and tell them how awesome they are for wearing TRO gear to a show, because we love that. That's great. So, you know, I, I don't know if I said it. I know Brad kind of spoke for all of us, but we just want to thank everybody for coming out to the show. That's two for two on really good shows. I mean, the crowd on Saturday was... I don't know, it was, I don't want to say unbelievable, but it was pretty close to unbelievable. It was probably one of the busier shows I've seen in a long time. And for, you know, they've been talk about, you know, shows fading away and doing whatever. But I just wanted to thank everybody personally for coming out and everybody that, you know, came up and told us how much they liked the Backlash podcast and how many people want to know when Carrie's seminar is and all that stuff. It's awesome. Oh, a lot of people, Jeff. A lot of people want to know in my seminars. And you know what I told them? If they can get you two knuckleheads up there with me, that I might be able to do it. Well, if you're a show promoter and you want Brad, Carrie, and I to give a seminar next year, give us a call because I'll do it. And I'm not even a seminar guy. I'll do it just to see Carrie do it. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can sit up there and talk with you. You too. Well, but I'm telling you, it's going to be a hot mess if it's just me by myself. There's going to be a lot of red and a lot of stuttering <laughs> and no content. <laughs> well, on the other end of it, you know how many people came up to me and wanted to know about pan fishing and you know all that kind of stuff. So I think it went both ways this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there was even a post I believe when she went and got her tungsten jigs for uh, bluegills through the ice. But... Yeah, yeah, there was. Yeah, there was. Somebody wanted to know like when when we're going to have a multi-species podcast, and I said, I'll do the multi-species podcast as soon as Brad does the editing. Once Brad does it, then that's fine. I'll, if, as long as I have to do is make the phone call to Brad and talk multi-species, I'll do it. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you, Jeff. But, you know, what a lot of the listeners don't realize is how much time goes into this whole thing. You know, it might be an hour long, but that doesn't mean the work's done. I have to thank you, Jeff, for, for putting in the effort because what you're doing each week takes a ton of time. I realize that. I think everybody else should too. And I appreciate the compliment. If you listen to episode, whatever this one is, 46, or I think it's 46. I'm just guessing. I think it's 46, yeah. You know, if you listen to this episode, hopefully it's better than what number one was. I know that when I put up number one on YouTube a couple of weeks back, 
I had to listen to part of it. <laughs> and I'm, I'm like, really? I can't believe people actually listen to episode two after hearing episode one. So, uh, Speaking of YouTube, maybe we should talk about that a little bit. We should. Let's hear. So when it, whenever it was, two, three weeks ago, somebody said to me, hey, it'd be nice if you know you had these available on YouTube. So now we put them on YouTube. If you go to Backlash Podcast, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel. It's just another way to find the podcast. It's not, I don't record this part of it. And, you know, it's not, it's not a video deal, but I know some people just will listen to audio off of pot, off of YouTube. So if, if that's how you do it and that's what you want to do, you can check it out there. I know I also recently um, looked up or I, I got us going on iHeartRadio. Oddly, I haven't gotten the confirmation email that says that we're on iHeartRadio, but if you Google, if you search on iHeartRadio backlash podcast, and you, you got to scroll down a little ways, but you can find us. So, I mean, apparently we're on there, even though they haven't given me the confirmation yet. So it's just another place to find the podcast. We're trying to make it widely available as we can. You know, we're also trying to put up, we're going to try to put out some more episodes too. We have a lot of people that want us to do a few more, and we're going to try to do that. I guess the last parts of this whole piece, I guess, before we switch over to that medicine club, you know, pretty much just a huge shout out and a thank you to everybody that participated in the show and participated in both buying from, uh, from you and us and, and being great else. customers, you know, and, and it's always so cool to hear some people's stories over the weekend. And I, I can't uh, thank everybody enough. Brad's right. Next stop for Muskie Mayhem Tackle on the trail scene. Next and last stop for them is Minnesota at the end of March. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt there. I, uh, the last thing I should say is it's not quite the last stop. We have to also do a fleet farm show, which is in April and that's at Lambeau field. And it's basically just a big sports show created by fleet farm. And then on the tail end of that, they have everything else that they sell in their store as well. So you can also check us out there, and I know Muskie Innovations will be there as well. Something to think about. Well, if we even want to circle back a little bit more, I know we love to talk about John Betty and Stealth Tackle, so we'll do it one more time. If you're going to the PA show, John is going to actually hand out Backlash flyers for us at that show, and he's going to have a little banner with the Backlash podcast stuff. But not only that, he's going to have Muskie Mayhem Tackle products in his booth at the PA show. So if you want, well, Brad and you, Carrie, you can tell them what you send them. What are you sending them? A little bit of everything, actually, Jeff. Um, we're actually, we forgot yesterday as we were tearing down, I was going to give him even more product. I had a box for him that I brought to the Milwaukee show so that he was pretty much set. But uh, we were going to actually give him more product, so we're going to have to ship him something here quickly. When is that show, for sure? It's, I believe it's the same weekend that we'll be in the Wausau show. It's March yep. 6th, 7th, and 8th, I think. So well, in a couple weeks. well, there that show though I think is just Friday or Saturday the seventh, and then I think it's Sunday the eighth, if I'm not mistaken. It's not a three yeah, day the, show. No, the PA show is only only a two day show. That sounds like a pretty good show. I, I wish it was closer to home. You know, it, we're, we're stretched way out when it comes to that drive. I, I just for a two day show, it's kind of tough to make that haul. We might have to show up there one day though. Talk real nice to to John. Have them bring our stuff out and actually just show up there ourselves. Wouldn't be a bad idea. I know I'm probably not dragging my trailer out there for that. Part, mostly because it lines up with the Wisconsin Muskie Expo in Wausau that same weekend. And that's a really been a really good show to us. I mean, that's one thing I can say is that the people in the state really, I would say they support the home team. And then they, they come out and 
they support us at that show and it's a really good show different a little bit different vendors than what you see at all the other let's say like bigger shows but the Wausau show is becoming a very big show so next stop for us is March 6th 7th and 8th up in Wausau and uh, I'm sure we'll talk more about that in the next couple weeks in the meantime let's go talk to I'll go talk to the three guys from Madison you guys can just chill out for a minute Take a nap. Yeah, one one last shout out would be to Mike, the show promoter of both Chicago and Milwaukee Expo. I he's definitely doing something right, Jeff. And I think we should give him a shout out. He's drawn the people. I can't say enough. So just that last piece, go do your thing, man. Well, I'm just gonna say that's probably all, that's probably all on us. I'm sure it had to be the podcast that gotten the extra six people in the door this weekend. Well, we should maybe convince Mike of that. Maybe we can get a piece of that pot. Yeah, good luck free, with that. Free booth. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> no, he's doing a great job. All right, everybody. I'm going to go talk to some, some people about the Muskie School down in Madison for a little bit. It'll be a real kind of short, shortly brief, kind of brief. And then um, Brad and I are going to talk a little bit about a couple of the questions. We're going to answer some questions that we had on Facebook. So we'll, uh, it's always only you and Brad. Because I'm just, I'm still in summer mode, you know, like summertime, oh, okay. you weren't around. So I've I was been always here for months now. Uh, I mean, yeah, but for the majority of the time you were still MIA. So you're probably not yeah, even like 50% work. yet, <laughs> you know? I mean, what, oh. what have you been on like 14 episodes? So it's, it's hard for me to, uh, 14. <laughs> all right. I'll give you 16. All right. Very happy. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'll settle on that. <laughs> I, w- I would have went the other way, Jeff. <laughs> She's too busy pan fishing. <laughs> I'm going to start. Oh boy. This is getting out of hand again. Always. All right. We'll be right back. All right, everybody. Our guests today are Jeff, Duffy, and Steve, and they are talking about the Intermediate and Advanced Muskie School, and that is put on by the Capital Cities Muskies, Inc. chapter in Madison. How are you three guys doing today? Real well, thanks. Great. Thanks, Jeff. So, anybody that hasn't heard of the school, it's a really cool school that you guys put on. I know a little bit about it, but I know you guys know a lot more about it. So, why don't you kind of give us a rundown of what takes place? Sure. Yeah, we're uh, we're happy to do this, and we this will be our 19th year in a row. Thinking back to 2001, we had a massive snowstorm for the first one of these, and we had, I don't know, 50 people maybe. But uh, over the years, we've uh, had a lot of strong interest in this. And at one time, I think we had 300, 350 people show up. So it's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a fun school. It'll be on Saturday, March 14th pretty much all day at the Wanakee High School in Wanakee, Wisconsin. And very importantly, it is open to the public. So you don't have to be a member of uh, Muskie Inc. If you're interested in muskie fishing, uh, this is a place you want to be. Probably no better place to be anywhere than at this school on March 14th if you want to figure out how to put more muskies in your boat this year. Uh, We do have a lot of classes this year. We have something like 34 different one-and-a-half-hour classes to choose from. We have a very good ratio of uh, teachers to students, so be a lot of opportunity to ask questions to some experts. Our instructors actually have over 600 years of experience targeting specifically uh, muskies, and uh, one of the things about it is they're very willing to share the information and will work with you and help you in any way they can. But we do have a few classes that are now closed, and that is the 
the rod building class, the real repair class, and the class on throwing big rubber and crankbaits. If people are signing up, just keep that in mind that there are those classes that are closed as of now. There's been a lot of surge of interest in that. Our classrooms will be capped at 25 people maximum, and uh, the school will be capped at 300 people. So we have plenty of uh, people to help and teach and provide assistance at the school. The price on this is only $35 for the early bird price, which is in effect until March the 10th. And then it goes up to $45. And if you need to register at the school, you can do that. And that, that's 45 bucks. Now, for kids, we're keeping the price real low. It's 10 bucks for 17 and y- younger. Come with their parents. But the student price is $10. First thing in the morning. Uh, we have donuts and coffee and blueberry muffins and all that to start things off. And then we have our plenary session. And this year, Steve Worrell will talk about how the Internet uh, will improve or could improve your muskie fishing. Some of the resources that are out there that you might look at and use this season to improve your muskie fishing. going to be a good time. Um, we have one of the things about our school, we listen to what the students want. So. Some of these classes we're offering were only offered because some student in the past asked for it. And in the last year, we and we, do, we commonly get this where about 95% of the students who have attended give us either an A or a B grade for the school. So we're really trying to react to the feedback and the suggestions of the students. You know, we're going to have a, a catered lunch, a hot lunch brought in good menu, good people usually like it, the pulled pork, the chicken and vegetables and desserts. And guys seem to, in the musky world, they seem like chocolate chip cookies. So we're going to go heavy on that this this year. And we're we're looking forward to it. We got some really good vendors. Team Rhino Outdoors is a vendor for us. They'll be able to show you their equipment that, uh, and lures and and uh, we have Eagle Lake Island Lodge that was offering a, I think, a four or five day trip up to Eagle Lake, which will be part of the super raffle. And that, that's a worth over $2,000. Uh, Weston will be a vendor there. Chaos Tackle, Esox Assault, Livingston Lures. So for the students who are interested in different choices they have and how these things work, uh, leaders and lures and rods and reels and so forth. There'll be people there that will show them that. So, as, and we do have some special offers. So, people attend the school, they will be offered a five, ten percent, or even higher discount on certain products if they attend the school. Dorn Hardware and Team Rhino and Eagles Pro Sports and Vibrations Tackle and Wilderness Fishing Game will be making special discounts for the students. So that's kind of nice. It almost pays for the price of admission. Now, we are going to have some major league raffle prizes this year, and I'm going to let Duffy here fill us in briefly on what we have for raffles. Well, one of the comments that we get from people at the Muskie Expos and stuff is that we have excellent raffles and give out a lot of prizes. So I'm going to very quickly go through a list. We've got uh, a prize that will go out to the person that comes to the school from the farthest distance. We have an end-of-the-day door prize that is a result of uh, filling out the evaluations. You get a door prize ticket, so you could win something there. We give uh, a bag of uh, stuff out for the kids that are coming. Then we have the regular raffle where we will give out a wide variety of tools, hats, shirts, some mid-grade combos, giving out 90 to 100 baits 
and a bump board. And then we move on to the super raffle. And this is really, really something if you see it. We'll have multiple high-end combos to give out. We're talking about combos that are worth at least $500. Uh, we'll be giving out some Elite Talkins baits. We will be giving out a custom-made uh, John Eversall tackle box. We're going to give out a custom rod with a beast reel on it from Abu Garcia, along with a Fenwick rod rack in that. And also, we will be awarding the the winner of the Eagle Lake Island Lodge uh, stay for two up on Eagle Lake. So, really excellent prize. The other thing, uh, Jeff, is that... Uh the main sponsors here again are, as we heard from Duffy, the Garcia, Ibu Garcia, Fenwick, and Western Fishing. Those are our main sponsors that have been very generous to the school. And as far as where does the money go, you know, our objective is to offer a school that is very high quality with a very high student satisfaction level and break even if possible. And if we have extra money left over to cover food and different things, some of these prizes and so forth, uh, we will use that money to enhance the fisheries by stocking muskies, usually in the Madison area. And also we do offer a special scholarship for Wanakee High School graduates. So we are able to give them somewhere around $500 to $1,000 a year to help them for those who are going into a natural resources program or some line of uh, study that's consistent with the mission of the Muskie Clubs. The money is going to be put to good use. The other thing is we have, we've had some questions about some of these classes in particular about the, where we're having a focus uh, on geographic and location. And Steve is going to tell us briefly here about what experts we have and what part of the state or in Canada, what they're going to focus on as part of the itinerary for the school here. Yeah, we have 34 different classes and three different sessions, and you choose a class from each session. This year, we have nine destination classes that are specifically talking about areas of the Muskie Range that you can fish. Uh, we have uh, Matt DeBose talking about Lake of the Woods. He's an expert up there. He catches a lot of nice fish up there. Uh, we also have the Oneida, Vilas County, Wisconsin class that's uh, given by Steve Worrell and John Kuda. They know that area very well and well-received. Also, uh, we're covering the Manitouish chain in Vilas County this year, which is a new class, and that's run by Bobby Orr and Jerry Georgeson, and they're excited about uh, running that class. It's their first year to do that, and uh, our students have been asking about the Manitouish chain, which is an excellent place to fish. We're also... Uh, having Phil Shrike come in and talking about River Muskies, the Wisconsin River. And he is an excellent speaker. He'll let you know how to catch muskies on the Wisconsin River. Another new destination area is Castle Rock and Petenwell Floage. That class is going to be conducted by Mike Anderson. Another destination area, which is very popular, of course, is a Chippewa Floage in Sawyer County and also the Northwest Wisconsin Lakes. And that class is uh, conducted by Jim Strode, another guide up in that area. That's a very popular class as well. And then, of course, uh, you have to talk about southeast Wisconsin, Petenwell, LaBelle, those areas. And we've had Mike Kep come in for several years. It's a very popular class for southeast Wisconsin. 
And of course, you can't forget the Madison chain, and that's Lake Monona, Lake Wabisa muskies, and Jeff Hans and Elise Spildy are experts in that area. Of course, Jeff is one of the, the best guides in that area, and that happens to be our most popular class of the entire day. The last one, we have Green Bay muskies with Kevin Fishke, and of course, we all know how popular Green Bay is getting to be, and Kevin's an expert in that area. So we have nine destination classes, and uh, we have some great instructors that know what they're doing up there, and they have uh, high evaluations every year. Well, based yeah. on what I can hear with the uh, different vendors that you have, or the different presenta- presenters you have, you have Phil Schweik, Jeff Hansen, Kevin Pischke. I mean, from what I know, Mike Cap. from what I know, if you're looking for stuff in Wisconsin, you, you're going to have a hard time finding a lot better than those guys. Sounds like definitely a, a must-hit event, in my opinion. Well, we you know we try to off. We have Dan Small on fly fishing for muskies too, which is always an interesting class. And you know we we have a row trolling class. And you know if you're interested in a wooden boat or trolling for muskies, you know we have Kevin Wallenfang uh, who's going to show us how to do that. We have a, a, a class. Sometimes people who don't have extensive experience with muskies want to bring their their son or their daughter or neighborhood kid or something so we have a musky fishing basics class we're offering which is real popular usually fills up every year and for some reason i don't know why duffy cuff is uh, attracting a lot of people to his class <laughs> <laughs> but uh it's, it's it's a great turnout you can go through all the basics and then we have a class two specifically uh, designed for women muskies with a female touch and we have a couple of female instructors that will talk about that and they offer a unique and a very helpful perspective. So that's kind of fun. And we do have uh, basically some hands-on classes. So if somebody really says, I don't really care about fishing this lake or that lake, I, I want to make a bait or I want to make a leader. Or I want to make stuff. Then they'll find classes on here, how to make a wooden bait, how to uh, make a leader, uh, how to make a spinner bait, how to make a bucktail. So for those who want to just get their hands dirty and make things, we have really... Extremely knowledgeable instructors. John Ebersall won the national uh, award on lure making for muskies uh, several years ago. He's a third generation carpenter. He really knows how to make baits well. So he'll be teaching that class. So it'll be a fun day for people. And um, we're certainly hopeful that uh, people will come out and uh, have the, have fun with us. Uh, as far as the, um, uh, yeah, the door is open at uh, 7.30 in the morning. And usually we're out of there by about four o'clock. And uh, as far as how to sign up, where to go, I'll give you that information now. Capital City Muskies Inc.org. And I'll do it again. It's, it's Capital City Muskies Inc.org. And from there, you can register online. Or if you'd like to register via U.S. mail, you can download the form. Fill out, choose your classes, include your checks, send it in. You'll be all set to go. And uh, again, to get that better price of $35, uh, you, you want to do that by get that in before the 10th of March. So, and then we, if, if people are interested uh, and know for sure they want to attend the school, if they sign up by the 1st of March, then they will be entered into a drawing for a $50 a hundred dollar and a two hundred dollar gift certificate. So somebody's going to win those gift certificates, um, and we'll also uh, having a sign up 
at the uh, Wisconsin Fishing Expo in Madison, and there'll be people at the Capital City Muskie's Inc. booth that will be able to answer questions about the school, but you could sign up right there or get your any questions you might have uh, and get it answered at the uh, Fishing Expo. So anyway, hopefully people will uh, come out and have some fun with this. Jeff's out of breath, so... <laughs> <laughs> I, I know from experience i was there last year and i'd say between breakfast and lunch you probably get your money's worth on that just alone not to mention all the experience that you can get you can gain or knowledge you can gain from coming out so i'd highly recommend it to any of our listeners if you if you're free on the 14th of march it's well worth your 35 dollars to come out like they had mentioned team rhino outdoors will be there so that means i'll be there Last year, we had a few things on a table for guys to check out. If you have questions on our website, we can help you out with that. I think we gave away can koozies last year. We'll give away something this year. I'm not exactly sure what it is yet. I probably should get on that pretty quick. Things are Time's running short, actually, before we get there. Anyone that wants to go check it out, if you want to know more about Capital City Muskies, Inc., I'll put that link in the show notes. So if you guys want to check out that, I'll link the website for them, and I'll link the website for you guys to hook up and go check out the Intermediate Advanced Muskie School. So guys, based off what I can tell, I have seen nothing on my list that you guys haven't already covered. So unless you had anything additional that you wanted to add, I would say that uh, we'll move on with our podcast tonight. Sounds good. Sounds good, Jeff. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff, Thank you very yep. much. Thank you, guys. You guys have a good day. You too. Take care. Bye now. Bye. All right. I just got done talking to Jeff, Duffy, and Steve with Capital Cities Muskies, Inc. about their school. For anybody that hasn't already checked it out or looked into it, it's definitely a cool event. We've been there last year, and then we're going to be there again this year. Lots to learn, lots to do at that particular event. Something definitely cool to check out. So we're going to take the rest of this podcast now, and we are going to answer a couple questions that we had on our Facebook page. And feel free to either email them or go find that post on our Facebook page and post about other questions you want because we're going to continue to pull off of that. And then once we finally have them, mostly sorted out then we'll move on to the next topics or we'll post again about some more and we'll keep doing that once in a while when when it arises you know this particular instance we didn't try to put a guest together for it necessarily because we were just at the show so we we're going to impromptu do a podcast and one of the questions somebody had is about solo musky fishing brad how much solo musky fishing have you done I used to do it a lot. When I first started musky fishing, it was something that I spent a lot of time doing, actually. And Carrie, how about you? You musky fish solo? Uh, no. No, I've always had someone with me. You know, the, the funny thing about that whole topic, you know, you're talking about solo fishing. Carrie's done it in other species, but I don't know that she really has in the musky world. No, but musky fishing, I haven't. You know, the interesting point to that whole deal is and, I, and i've always said well i didn't have good enough friends that wanted to go work at trying to figure out this whole musky game so i went alone <laughs> and and there's some truth to that actually once i started catching fish everybody wanted to get in the boat right there's a few tips and tricks that you can do when you're solo fishing that's for sure you know and it comes down to photography it comes down to netting it comes down to a lot of different things and one of the things that that you touched on earlier, Jeff, before we even started talking about this live anyway, is slowing down your presentation. Maybe you can highlight on some of that, Jeff. I mean, that, that definitely was one that stuck in my head. That was a really good one. I'm not going to profess to be an expert in anything musky related. I have a lot of experience doing it. Sometimes I have success and sometimes I fail. 
One thing I do a fair amount of is solo muskie fishing. So I think let's just get started, I guess, from the beginning. From the time I launched the boat, I go through kind of like in my head, what am I going to do if I catch a muskie? How am I going to deal with this? So I make sure the the net is extended, the handle's out, everything's ready to go. I don't want to send anything around it. And when I'm solo fishing, I want to make sure that like if I change baits, I put it way out of the way because inevitably if you get a fish on, you're going to hook that thing and you're going to lose baits because it's going to be in the net. So I make sure that stuff's out. I make sure my bump board is out. I make sure that my release tools are all ready. You know, I got, I always have a hook sharpener in my back pocket. I always make sure that like my other stuff is just like right there, readily accessible. The other thing I have is I have a bungee cord. It's like a, like a bungee cord with like a carabiner clip on it. So I actually use that for when I get a muskie in the net. I'll clip it around my net handle and then I'll run it to a cleat or a whatever so that, you know, I can then now move around the boat a little bit because depending on what side of the net or what side of the boat you net a fish on, you may or may not have your tools accessible there. Even though you have them out, it might be in the back corner or the front corner or the whatever. So those are things I definitely want to do when I'm, you know, just make sure you're, you're prepared and you're running through things through your head as far as like, how, what do I need to get this job done? Assuming I get a muskie in the net. Then like Brad had talked about with like camera equipment, for me taking pictures of it solo, I run GoPros in my boat all the time now with the YouTube stuff that we've done. So for me, a lot of times I'll literally just have a GoPro or a whatever, or sometimes I'll even have my bigger camera out on a tripod and it'll be ready to go. So I quick net it, unhook it, then I'll get my big camera up and, and running and I can literally then just pick it up put it in front of the camera, the video camera. I'll flip the viewfinder around so I know I'm in frame. And then I'll I'll set the fish back in the water. I can literally have it in and out of the water in 20 seconds, quick talk to the camera or whatever. And then what I do is when I go back to editing, I just pull a still frame from it. And it's cool because you can pull all sorts of different still frames. You can pull it as you're coming out of the bag and all sorts of different cool stuff. So that's that's the process of me catching and releasing one. Now when I'm musky fishing solo, First thing I tell, I was talking to Brad about is I don't hit a ton of spots. So what I do is I try to find what I think are going to be the high percentage spots for the day, depending upon how long I'm fishing for. And then instead of fishing them really fast, I'm going to fish them actually pretty slow. And I'm going to try to be way more thorough on my cast because I don't have two or three baits running through that spot. So what I'll do is I'll just you know, I'll try to make sure that I, I run it really slow. My trolling motor is going a lot slower than maybe I would if I had different more guys in the boat trying to pick each part, each spot apart better. And typically if I, I'm going to have to try to guess for the day, what, what they're going to be going on. Are they going to be going on blades? Are they going to be going on jerk baits? Are they going to be going on rubber? So I obviously going to start with what I feel is the best bait for the day. You know, is it, Water temperature wise, what, what are we looking at? Are we, you know, what, what did the weather do? Are we post frontal? Are we, you know, is it, are they, are they active? Is there a storm front approaching? All of those things are factors that I like to consider. And then I'm just going to try to pick three or four spots that day that I'm going to hit and I'm going to hit them thoroughly. And then if I move to fish, obviously then you have some information to go off of. And if you don't, then I'm going to probably try to go back through Depending upon how much time I have, I'm going to go through the the best of the best with a di- with different presentation. 
as opposed to running and gunning all over the lake, um, like I said, I'm just picking stuff apart slowly, methodically. You're going to have to go, like I said, if you're a weekend warrior, that's the toughest thing about it is every week is it could potentially be a different pattern. And that's why if you have a network of people, you can at least try to get an idea of what's going on. Would you say that is a somewhat fair estimation of things as far as your breakdown, Brad? Carrie? Well, for sure, Jeff. I mean, you, you touched on a lot of different things. The one thing that I'd maybe reiterate on is you're talking about fishing slower. And the reason that you're fishing slower, three people in the boat versus one, you're definitely covering the water a lot more effectively. Being alone, like you're talking, you need to slow your presentation. Maybe not your presentation, but you need to chop that water apart better. And so that's what I was wanted to reiterate on definitely something to think about and and it's amazing to me you know whether you're with somebody or or you're alone everybody has their own style of how they run their boat and how fast they're running their boat i really do pick things apart one of the benefits you know as a guide you can be on the water every stinking day so i'm not losing touch with different patterns as your weekend warrior will and so that's important as well the other thing that maybe becomes Part of the equation, if you will, Jeff, is myself, because I do guide, and if I'm going to be on the water alone, I'm still fishing out of the back of the boat. I'm going to assume, are you fishing out of the front, Jeff? That was a question I had for you. I would say typically I'm fishing out of the front yet. I mean, there's really no, there's more room up there for me in the front, so there's really no reason for me to be in the back. Occasionally, you know, like maybe if it's later fall and I'm running suckers off the back of the boat, then I'll be set up more back there so I can be more attentive to what's going on with that. But for the most part, I'm fishing out of the front. Right. Yeah, I, I find it interesting. You know, I, I love fishing out of the back of the boat, honestly. And the biggest reason that most guides do that is so that the clients are in the front and they're getting fresh water, the first water. And, but, at the same token, now you've got two sets of electronics and things like that. I can use the, the electronics right at my console as my electronics that I can see right from the back of the boat, whether I'm driving or I'm fishing. So that's one thing that I like about it back there. The other thing I like is that it's not usually as bumpy. You know, the, the back end of the boat's way calmer than the front. That's kind of off topic, but definitely something to think about. And when you're talking about where your, your net is, you know, you definitely don't want a bunch of baits laying out there. You want your tools next to you. There's That's the biggest factors, I would say, when it comes to solo fishing. Yeah, I would agree. You want to keep your clutter down is what I try to do. You know, like you just want to be more mindful about how things are going to go down if you catch a muskie. Because obviously if your net handle isn't extended and you're trying to screw around and, you know, mess with that well you got the fish over here your chances of giving it slack and it getting off are higher but i mean don't ask me for tips on solo netting um i'm I, i'm decent i don't know i actually lost too many of them but it always just seems like it's a bigger struggle than what it should be and i guess guys if they're solo if they're solo netting i particularly like the drifter xl net I know I had the Joe Booker Conservation Series net from Frable, and I loved it. Solo netting, it was awesome. Cut through the water really great. It was a really nice net for that, but the bag on that thing was like, as soon as they got in it, they wrapped up so tight in that thing almost every time if they start thrashing around. So didn't really love the net a whole lot that way, but solo, it worked really well. So if you 
you know, if you could figure out a way to not get them to wrap up in the net, that wasn't such a bad thing. But if you're looking for a nice net too, don't get it. Don't get a really giant big kahuna net. That's more of a two handed deal. Cause you're obviously going to be, you're, you're likely going to be netting this thing, you know, with one arm. I would totally agree with what you just said, Jeff. And I am a big kahuna guy. I really still like the big kahuna. The one thing that I can say is because it's bigger, you're a lot more apt to really trying to control that net because it's heavier, but you're right. It is a two hand operation. I don't know. Does Frable still make the big game net? I believe that they do. I don't, I can't say that I know for sure. I, I think they make a net like it. I'm not sure if they changed the name on that or not. So that's the only question I have, but you know, here in the last couple of years, there's been a ton of different offerings of brand name nets. So I'm still a big kahuna guy. I like that big bag. I think it does a lot less damage to the fish. Again, you know, being a big net like that, you definitely are like more in charge of it, if you will. You know, you're going to handle it a lot harder than you would if it was a small net and dainty and light. But as a solo fisherman, the big kahuna is not the choice by by any stretch of uh, reason there. <laughs> nope. I'd be like the Drifter XXL, I believe it is. I w- it's probably similar to that. And I, yeah, I, I used to be a big Kahuna guy all the time. And I, it's a, like you said, it's super net. If you're, if you have a partner all the time, you can two hand it, works good. The one thing I've heard though for guys that are looking to help themselves solo netting, and I haven't tried it myself, is a jig ripper handle. I know of guys that have tried it and they swear by it. I haven't personally. Have you ever used a jig ripper on a net, Brad, or you know anybody that has? I have personally not used one on a net. It makes sense because now you can tuck that handle in your armpit and you've got a hold of the jig ripper itself. You can steer it. I, I could see it being really feasible for a solo fisherman, but I personally have not tried it. You'd have more leverage. Yeah, there's a ton more leverage there, you know, and your strength is more and, and everything else. I mean, it's no different than what you gain with a jig ripper on your rod. <laughs> you you got more power. You honestly really do. Uh, I struggle to use it all the time, but there are times when I will use it. If you're suffering from any kind of uh, tendon issues in your arms or whatever, I know it definitely helps. As far as solo fishing goes, if anybody wants us to dive in deeper, something specific, I guess, shoot us, a, shoot us an email and we'll cover it in a different episode. But as far as like for this one, I don't know if we kind of maybe went a little surface level, but I mean, hopefully we offered some information on that one. How about do you guys have any tips on loading and unloading by yourself? That, that's a good one, Carrie. Uh, you know, I run Rangers usually. And the one thing that I will say is having a great keel protector. <laughs> because if you're going to park it up on shore so you're not tied off to a dock, that's going to protect your keel on your boat. The other thing is, is now, you know, with the, the anchor systems that you can put on your boats with the, um, the Minn Kota Talon, definitely as you pull up to the dock, you can put the front end of your boat up against the dock, drop your Talon. It's going to hold your boat in place. You don't even really need to tie the front off if you play the wind right. That's definitely a key for loading your boat as well, not only for the fishing aspect, but now you can, uh, you can anchor your boat right at the dock. So that, that's one little trick that I do. Well, do you recommend pledging your bunk spread? Uh, no, I did have a client at one point. <laughs> he bought a boat from me. It was a Ranger 620. And he said, man, Brad, he goes, this boat, it just takes so much to get it off the bunks. And Rangers 
have the bunk trailers. So he decided that he would take pledge, like you would scrub your floor with and clean your wood oh, no. floor. For, for, dusting. for dusting, excuse me. Don't put it on your floor. Yeah, don't put it on your floor. <laughs> you have your kids peeling out all over. But anyway, he sprayed two of the bunks, two of the four bunks with pledge. And then from there, he lost his boat twice into the lake. <laughs> Once so bad, he had to call somebody on the water to go find his boat. The second time, he jumped, jumped off the dock trying to catch it and missed the boat and was in the water. From there, he had to try to figure out how to pull it back to the dock. <laughs> so definitely not something you want to do. The one thing I did to eliminate that, I didn't. I never pledged up my bunks, but when I had a ranger, sometimes I would launch that solo. I had a like a, probably like a 20-foot rope I think I used that had a hook on both ends. So I can you know the rangers are bad for the most part. They're so heavy that unless it's frozen or the bunks are frozen or iced up, you know, the the boat's not gonna just fly off the trailer. You can slowly back it in and you'll be fine. I'm sure that's probably how you do it. Most of your buddies don't get out, I'm guessing, unhook you from your boat, right? Yeah, generally like if I have a guide trip, I, I unload and load every day by myself. And honestly, once you get into a routine if somebody's trying to help and I know everybody's trying to be nice and they're willing to get the truck or they're willing to do this really for the most part, Jeff, once you get into that real routine, it's almost easier just to do it yourself. And so I show up early before my clients get there. I'll have the boat waiting in the water for them, pick them up right at the dock and we go out fishing. Yeah. So like I said, like I was kind of saying, I have I had a, like a 20 foot rope with a hook on both ends. So I would hook it to the boat and I would hook it to the trailer and that way I could back it in and I didn't have to worry about it floating away. Then I could just, you know, jump down, grab the front rope or whatever, and then bring it over to the dock. And then when I was fishing with Jeff Hansen, the trick he showed me was that same, that it's like a bungee cord with like the carabiner hooks on the ends of it. He uses those for, for instead of using ropes for hooking his boat up, he'll just use those and he'll hook one on the boat cleat, one on the dock, and he'll just hook it either to itself, you know, wrap it around the cleat on the dock and then hook it to itself or you know, run it through or whatever. But though, instead of using ropes, he just uses like these like four foot long, like bungee cords. Not like I said, they don't have the hooks on like a regular bungee cord. They have the, like those, like those clip ends. I think they call them carabiner clips or something like that. So I think you can get them at like fleet farm or whatever. That was my Christmas present from him a couple of years ago. And I use them all the time. If I'm, if I have a dock where I'm fishing with my little boat, I use those to just hook that up to the dock. You can quick click it, clip it and you're done. You don't have 20, 30 feet of rope or whatever you're trying to screw around with, wrapping around. And then when you're you're done with them, you can just quick stow them off to the side. And like I said, I keep one around for using my net when I solo that way, or when I solo fish that way, I can um, keep the net from falling in the water after I get a muskie in it. Yeah, so, we had that happen last year. I saw it. <laughs> you know, it's funny, with, like with the bunk trailers, literally I back it down and I can see that, that boat's like inching. And generally speaking, once it starts inching off the trailer, I just put it in park, jump out, and I can pretty much rock it right off the trailer. So yep. that's how I do it. You know, if you have a roller trailer, you're going to be dealing with something different. But there's always those little tricks that you learn from doing it day in, day out. Yeah, I have a roller trailer too. And I wouldn't recommend unhooking that thing until you're in the water because otherwise you're going to lose your boat on the ramp. Bad idea. I've seen, I've seen that last year as well. <laughs> i have not uh, hopefully i never see it on a personal basis buddy of mine when i first switched because everything i had has always been bunk trailers and so i switched up to that roller trailer and he's like do not unhook your boat like you would a roller or a bunk trailer because he's like you will absolutely lose your 
your boat off the trailer. I'm like, all right, well, he's right. You can barely push that thing, and it's coming off. So. They're pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. All right, well, Carrie, you got anything else? You want to talk about solo bluegill fishing or anything crazy? No. No, I'm good for right now. That's good. No more bluegills on the podcast. There, there will be more bluegills. It's only a matter of time, Jeff. I'm the one that edits stuff. I can get rid of that stuff anytime I want. I see how this is going to go. Dictatorship. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. The last one, because we're running out of time for the day, would be somebody want to know about single blades at night, Brad. I don't do night fishing because I don't like bugs. And Wisconsin fish don't bite during at night. You wussy. (laughs) Don't don't say that. I'm just kidding. They bite at night. I'm just too much of a wussy like Harriet said. The reason I say don't say that this past weekend, uh, I had a couple different people from northern Wisconsin, and they asked me the question right in the booth. They said, do Wisconsin fish or do certain bodies of water not produce after dark? And I said, I don't believe that to be true at all. I think a muskie is a muskie, and I don't care if they're Wisconsin strain, Leech Laker strain, whatever. I think that there's bites after dark. To answer the real question, though, Will a single-bladed bucktail work after dark? Yes. Yes, they work really well. Um, One of the neat things about a single-bladed bucktail is that they are going to produce a lot more thump in the water. When I say thump, because there's one blade, it's kind of like the bait is out of rhythm, if you will. It's going to shake, and it's going to be a little bit more violent. And I don't know if anybody has seen some of the underwater footage, and Keys has done that quite a bit with the single girls that we make, which is a single-bladed bucktail it vibrates like none other. But one thing that you do want to do after dark is you want to slow down your presentation. The neat thing about having two blades on a bucktail is you're able to slow down your presentation. And the reason you can do that is two blades provide more lift in the water at a slower speed. Well, that makes sense. So as a single girl, I mean, is typically when people talk about night bites and night blades, I'm assuming they're using big blades nines tens juniors double cowgirls whatever do you know do you know of anybody that's doing well on a single girl or you know a, a single show girl or a single eight or any of that kind of stuff after dark or is it pretty much am i going to be forced to throw big blades no again you know here's the deal it, it's mostly due to what kind of structure you're fishing as well you know if you're fishing some really heavy weeds and they're lower in the water column that uh, that single blade where you can roll it slower and it's not tangling up in the weeds, you're probably going to be fine. I myself last year, I know I caught a few fish after dark on the single girl and it definitely provided. So I, it's all about those presentations and there's so many variables in this sport, but bigger blades are going to cause more lift. And so if you're fishing shallower water or a weed mass that's coming up like a foot or two below the surface, or maybe it's rocks, you definitely want to have a bait that you can slow down that has a bunch of lift in the water, and that's that's why the cowgirl kind of shined in that whole atmosphere. All right. You got anything else you want to add on blades at night? Um, right off the top of, the, of my head, I can't think of anything, Jeff, but, you know, the, the big answer to that whole question, you know, I, I mean, that's kind of a black and white question, really. Do they work after dark? They will. You know, and it's a matter of the structure. I, I can't say a whole lot more off the top of my head. Well, I guess the one thing that would I would think is if you can 
if you can work it effectively over the structure that you're working in, it's, and you can keep the bait in the strike zone that you're looking for, potentially a single blade at night might not be a bad option just because it would be something different than what the majority of the anglers out there are throwing, I'm assuming. Yeah, I would agree with that. You know, and, and, and here's the deal. I say slow down your presentation after dark. It definitely can be a key. But then again, we've had other people tell us, hey, we had the most outstanding bite. This was a couple of years ago. We were burning baby girl bucktails after dark, and we were catching tons of muskies. <laughs> you know, as soon as you think you have something figured out, it's going to change, right? So don't be afraid to try some of that speed after dark as well. But generally speaking, I mean, they're no different than we are. It's going to take them a little bit of extra time after dark to kind of locate where that bait is. And that's where the slowing down generally becomes effective. Don't take every word I say as black and white because there's a lot of gray in between. Sometimes speed isn't the only answer. So I definitely, certain baits, you can't reel as slow as you can others. Sometimes bucktails aren't the answer either. That's correct. Spinner baits, top water. Very, very true. I haven't heard too much about crankbaits after dark trolling sometimes, but not casting. Have you? Um, you know, there was a time I used to throw the believers a lot, the 10 inch believer. And, and the reason I threw them after dark was plain and simple. They got rattles in them and definitely those fish can relate to that. And the believers a neat bait where you can slow the presentation down. It's probably not known as being something like that, but you know, think about a hog wobbler. What are you doing with a hog wobbler? It's a slow bait. Is it a good bait after dark? Yes. Creepers, same thing. Well, a believer can be worked that same way. You could work a believer on the surface or you can go subsurface. So that's a crankbait that I definitely would uh, entertain throwing after dark, and I have done it. It's a, it's an effective bait. Well, I'd say the one thing, I had I had a conversation in my booth this past weekend with a group of guys, and we were having, I don't remember exactly what the conversation was about, but it was, for me, it was more about like, hard, fast rules about muskies. I said, you know, there's certain guidelines that you can start out with and you can make educated things based on what you had done previously, either previous seasons or, or whatever. But with a, with a muskie, especially if you're not fishing by yourself, it's always best, you know, even like you were talking about with, you know, smaller and faster at night, if you have two anglers in the boat and until you know for sure that the pattern is what other double nines, single nines, double tens, whatever it would be, Maybe it would be beneficial for one guy to be going smaller and faster and another guy to be going bigger and slower. And that way you can, you know, that way you can kind of see what the, what's going on, what, what the muskies like, what they want. Maybe, maybe you actually would develop a pattern that's actually better than what you, the, you know, the previous pattern. I think musky guys get stuck in these, I call them ruts and I'm probably guilty of it too. Especially if you have multiple anglers in the boat, just try to think outside the box and maybe try something that the other guy isn't that he isn't using or doing or, you know, whatever. I say guy, but I mean, angler, women, women can catch muskies as good as I can. I think the only hard, fast rule there is in, in muskie fishing, Jeff, is there's no such thing as a hard, fast rule. Yep. I would hundred percent agree with you. Well, yeah. a couple tips alluding to what you just said too, Jeff, is something to think about when you're in the boat, your anglers in the, the very front, are the guys that should be turning them a little bit faster. And the reason I say that is the guy in the front is as fast as he can go. The guy in the middle is maybe a medium 
type retrieve and the guy in the back is the slow retrieve. And the reason you do, you do that is none of you will be in each other's way then. If you had the guy in the front on the bow slow rolling something, you're going to have to wait for him to get his bait back to the boat before you can cast and burn it. So something to think about. And the other part to that is speed of retrieval is probably number two, in my opinion, when it comes to muskies. Weather is number one, speed of retrieval would be number two. And every day that speed of retrieval can change. So it's definitely something that you need to be aware of. And when you hit the water, you got to be thinking about that. If you're a solo fisherman, hey, guess what? You burn one cast, you bring the next one in nice and slow. You chop that thing apart, chop the structure apart, and you're going to find more fish. Well, I think for the little bit that we actually tried to give educational stuff, I think maybe somebody might have gotten a little smarter. Well, it wasn't me, I guess, huh? Well, I doubt that either of us could get any dumber at this point. <laughs> <laughs> no, hopefully hopefully it did, you know, and I, I mean, here's the deal in muskies. Nobody has all the, the real answers, ultimately. As soon as I think I know everything, I'm going to quit. How's that sound? I mean, every day I'm on the water, I'm learning something new. And that's, I think, what attracts me to this whole sport. I mean, it definitely is something that it's, it's again, I'm going to relate it to, uh, to deer hunting. I mean, big bucks, they're, they're tricky. Muskies are tricky. And I love it. And the reason I love it is because I always seem to learn something. I take something away from the water and we all need to be aware, Hey, pay attention to the details and it's only going to improve your fishing. Yep. Like I said, you know, like you were kind of saying, we just kind of going through giving people ideas, try to maybe like open their mind to other ways to catch muskies. You know, some people, you know, will take advantage of it and potentially stumble upon something and other people are going to continue to just be stubborn and go down the same path. But when, you know, I also had somebody ask me not distract myself from that thought, but somebody asked me this weekend too, about like, what do you do when you're struggling? And I know this wasn't a question, but it's just something I thought of when I'm struggling. I don't go and change baits over and over and over when I'm struggling. I'm going right back to something that I know for sure. I've caught muskies on multiple times. I'm not going to, a bait that's brand new that just came out this year that I thought was cool that maybe will catch fish someday. That's not, that's not what I'm going to when I'm struggling. I'm going to go to a high percentage lake, a high percentage percentage spot and a confidence bait and hope for that things. Cause once you break out of a slump, half of it's mental, probably more than half of it's mental. I'd say in musky fishing, like 80% of it could potentially be mental on any given day. Sometimes they're just going to, you know, play mind games with you all day long and, and some days you win. I think too, Jeff, that when you are struggling, you can get caught up in fishing memories instead of actually paying attention to the details around you. Not everything is the same from year to year. Like your weeds move and the bait's different. And I mean, there's a lot of variables that, that they might've been there perfectly last year, but they're five feet over this year. You know what I mean? You can't fish memories. You have to actually pay attention to to the details. Yeah, some of those memories can, can launch you into the right zones. But you're right, Carrie. I mean, details are, are really critical. And I think we can all be critical of ourselves at some point or another where your mind really isn't in it. And Jeff touched on it. You know, the confidence thing really boosts your morale. It's going to boost your your thought process on what you're doing 
you know, I, maybe I'm the dumbest guy on the planet, but I believe every cast that I make, I'm catching one. I mean, literally, that's where my brain is. And I think it definitely helps me play up to my game, if you will. You know, it's it's really strange, but that's what I think. When I'm out fishing, and, and maybe I haven't caught one in six hours, maybe I haven't seen one in six hours, but I believe every cast, I'm going to catch one. I believe that that's the mentality you have to go with, every, you know, all the time. Every time you're out musky fishing, I think you have to believe that. It's really, really wild. I mean, if you want to think about different people I've talked to, and I know I, I can still remember my first 50 incher. I had guided multiple 50s before I had even caught my own. And I was getting like 49 and a half, 49 and 7 eighths. And I caught several of them that were like that 7 eighths, that 49 and 7 eighths. I couldn't give it to myself. No, that's not a 50. And once you get one, it's amazing how many more come after it. And again, it's a confidence thing and it's how you fish and paying attention to that detail. That's the bottom line. It really truly is. He's neglecting to tell you too that it took him seven years to get his first 50. So it's not something that just happened overnight. You know, you do have to put some time in. I don't know how long it's been since I've been musky fishing, but I don't have a 50, so I'm the wrong guy to talk to about 50s. You know, it, it takes time. You shouldn't you shouldn't be discouraged if you you fish for two years and and you don't have one. They don't get that big because they're totally dumb. No, it's it's weird. You know, she says seven years. It was probably more than that, actually, because I fished as a youth and my dad was probably the world's worst fisherman. And probably hasn't changed a whole lot since I was a youth. And I'm getting pretty old. Well, he, uh, does, he does a little better now with some coaching. <laughs> he does. But <laughs> he he's the guy, as an example, and this is your favorite topic, Jeff. But he's the guy that goes out can fishing for bluegills with 50-pound daiquiri and a steel leader. So, you know, and I'm over there with three-pound test. And he's like, man, I can't believe you're using that three-pound test. Well, Dad, have you seen that I've caught 12 and you haven't got anything yet? You know, it's one of them deals. He's a great guy, and he, he got me out and got me the passion and the love for the sport. But ultimately, I took it to a little different level. And you live and you learn, and you should be learning every day. Yeah, it's not an easy game, and it's amazing how many people you talk to that haven't caught their first 50 or whatever. But you put your time in on the right bodies of water, it's bound to happen. And I think there's a misconception, you know, Minnesota was known for 50 inch fish there for quite some, quite a long stint, actually. <laughs> One of the things that I, I always thought was so comical is we'd get somebody in the boat and they might be from Wisconsin, they might be from Illinois, they might be from Nebraska, it doesn't matter. They might even be from Minnesota. And the first question when you're in the boat is, well, how many 50s do you think we'll get today? And I'm thinking to myself, uh, this is not an easy game, first of all. Second of all, you're getting maybe 12 50s a year in the boat. It's not like you, uh, I can tell you, yes, we're going to get two, we're going to get three. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. But there's a misconception out there. And that's what drives us to, to fish harder. And to try to get those actual 50-inch fish in the boat, it takes tons of time. You can be doing everything right. And they'll still elude you. And that's, that's some of the fun part of this whole sport. I do nothing right and they still elude me. 
See, you're not believing, Jeff. Come on. That's nonsense. I actually do believe. I believe I can catch one every <laughs> single time I go out there, but they don't that doesn't always that's not always reality just because I believe it. No, I hear you. You know, it, it's amazing. I, again, it's not easy. Well, if you think you're going to go out there and you're going to get skunked, good chance you're going to get skunked. No, 100%. I would agree with that. If you don't believe in the water that you're fishing or the bait you're using or anything. If Boat some, control. Yeah, if something's off, man, you might as well kind of hang it up. Well, with that being said, speaking of hanging it up, <laughs> you know, I was just thinking, I was looking at the timer on the podcast and I'm thinking to myself, okay, we just literally just covered two questions. <laughs> These are supposed to be like quick and easy and it's roughly a half an hour at least of what we had going on there. I can't remember when I, when I, when we started talking on based on what the timer was, I usually hit record a little bit sooner, but you know, with that being said, Brad and I are going to finish it up and Carrie also, I, I, I say Brad and I, and she gives me a hard time about that. I don't remember if it was on this recording when we were actually recording or not. And I said, well, I'm still used to Brad and I, because you took most of the summer off. So that's why I say Brad and I, even though, you know, Carrie's the most important member of the entire podcast without her we'd have no fans and no fan club for sure so um, nice but anyways we're going to do some bonus episodes and we're going to answer some more questions on them because we're going to get back to a guest next week none of us know who it is because we haven't thought that far ahead yet but we will have a guest so we had talked about bonus episodes and we're going to continue to answer some questions on some bonus episodes but we were hoping they'd be like 20 minutes long 25 minutes long but based on our little question and answer we just had here, I'm thinking they're going to end up being longer. Well, you know, the crazy part about this whole thing, Jeff, is it's so easy to go off on some tangents based upon answering one of those questions. The cool part is, is it's basically, uh, basically a conversation of friends. You know, we're just on the phone talking and that's, what's so cool about this podcast. Let's be real. We are not friends. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm going to remember that one. Oh. This is a business relationship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Now, uh, you, now we know. <laughs> We've just been set in place. Yep. Set, set, well, I, I just set some boundaries. Was, I used to think Jeff was a friend. I, I've been, I've been learned. <laughs> Me and Carrie are still friends though. I didn't, I didn't oh. include her in that. Her and I are still friends. Uh-huh. What do you want? Nothing. Blue couple cow, couple cowgirls. <laughs> blue blue girls, girls, I think. <laughs> yeah. I want somebody to teach me how to catch a bluegill, please. You wait. I will school you on that. Maybe. It's because I don't fish for them. <laughs> we'll learn you. Well, that's good to know that another podcast is ruined by bluegill panfish talk. Brad brought it up. You brought it up. Now I even bring it up just because you guys are always bringing it up. Yeah, I can't wait till this summer after all this bluegill talk that to see how many you actually go out and catch. Zero. <laughs> you got to take your kids out to catch them. Yeah, they go out musky fishing. That's how they that's how we started, musky fishing. They can catch gills while you're musky fishing. They uh, coexist. They don't they don't like it very much, I bet. They coexist. Barely. Bluegills like cabbage just as much as muskies do. Mhm. Muskies like to eat panfish. No, they like suckers and bluegills <laughs> <laughs> see they they know they taste delicious mm-hmm. all you right got a bunch of sunfish eaters over there or what i might have eaten a couple <laughs> well this podcast is going nowhere fast so 
I think we should just call her a night. You want to talk about Musky Mayhem Tackle, and I'll talk about Backlash Podcasts, and then we'll see everybody next week. For sure. We can do that, Jeff. First of all, thanks again for uh, showing up to the Milwaukee show. We appreciate our customers. We're the originators of the big-bladed uh, Flashaboo Musky Baits. Musky Mayhem Tackle. You can reach us at muskymayhemtackle.com, or you can find us on Facebook, Instagram. What else, Care? YouTube. Yeah, YouTube as well. So love to have you come check us out. You catching, uh, if you're catching fish on our product, send us some pics. We'd love to hear from you. And for Backlash Podcast, you can find Backlash Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Overcast, and now I think you can find us on iHeartRadio. Check us out there. We also have a YouTube channel. I think there's a chance we might put a video there. We haven't decided which channel is going to get it. One of our three is. It won't likely be mine because I didn't do much of the work. So it's either going to be a Musky Mayhem or Backlash Podcast. But you can also find our, our podcast now on those on YouTube. It's just Backlash Podcast on YouTube. If you see our logo, you're in the right place. Speaking of our logo, you can get uh, hoodies and T-shirts at the shows. We had those there. I don't know if either of us have them online right now because I think most of the inventory is at the shows. Uh, you can email us, backlashpodcast at gmail.com. If you have questions or concerns or comments or you want to know when Carrie's seminar is, you can find it. You can you know email us there, and we'll take care of that for you. And then the company I own, Team Rhino Outdoors, check us out, teamrhinooutdoors.com. We're a retailer in the musky world. We have a bunch of stuff, lots of stuff. And I think next week I'll probably make a bigger announcement. We have... Like the very last remaining of the biggest musky companies we finally have, and it's coming. So maybe you already know who it is because it potentially might have some of it online even before you or once you hear this podcast. But we'll talk about that next week. So anyways, we want to thank everybody, like Brad said, for coming out to the shows. We want to thank everybody for the comments that you came with at the shows. Talk to us about how you liked Carrie on the podcast and that Brad and I were okay. We appreciate all that. And uh, we just want to thank everybody for listening and catch you all next week.